I love worshiping the Lord uh, with you. We are at the end of the book of Micah. We're going to la- read the last three verses like we read when we started this at the very beginning of the book of Micah. It says in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, and remember this is the definition of Micah's name. Micah means who is like the Lord. He says his name every single time he begins this phrase, who is a God like you who forgives iniquity? And amen should be spewing from your lips, right? Who is a God like you who forgives iniquity? And passes over the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. He does not hold fast to his anger forever. Thank God for that. Because he delights in loving kindness. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and you will cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. Aren't you grateful for that? How many of your sins? All. You will give truth to Jacob and loving kindness to Abraham, which you swore to our fathers from the days of old. And so, Father, as we approach the ending of this glorious book, this amazing book, this, this small book in the Bible that just packs a powerful punch, this, this minor prophet that really speaks, even, even written a long time ago, and yet it speaks so clearly, so eloquently, so relevant to our heart uh, today. There is no, and then there's everything else. There, there's nothing that compares to you in who you are. So, Lord, tonight as we get a a small glimpse into this, as we end this book of Micah tonight, Lord, and and begin the book of Nahum, I ask that you help us to lay aside those distractions that may be in our, our thoughts tonight, that we would have a desire to glorify you tonight, that we would have a desire to to not only hear your word, but also to retain your word as well, to apply your word to our lives. That every single person here and those that are listening online, uh, they're, they're here for a reason. Not to think of someone else that needs to be here or someone else that should hear the message, but but for each and every single one of us present here now, that you would speak your thoughts clearly to us. So, Lord, I, I thank you so much for not only the time of worship that we had to, uh, to praise you with uh, uh, Chris and, and Isaac and Bailey, Lord, but also the privilege of just coming into your house and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you accept us, that you cast all of our sin. As far as the east is from the west, and as it says here in the very depths of the ocean, that, that there is no one like you that forgives iniquity cleanses us from all of our sin. So, Lord, we praise you for that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're, we're in a, a section called the Minor Prophets. There's 12 books, every one of them very, very uh, small, starting with the book of Hosea and going all the way to the book of Malachi. We're in the middle of that section. And in the sixth of those books, the book of, of Micah, Micah is uh, unique in the fact that he's speaking not only to the, the northern kingdom, and we've been seeing that most of the minor prophets, especially in the beginning, have been speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel, 
which is going to be destroyed right after Micah ends his book. In fact, in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire is going to come in. They're going to take the capital city of Samaria and just obliterate the people. They're going to scatter them throughout the nation of Assyria. They're going to come back some, you know, 500, 700 years later as, as half-breeds called uh, Samaritans. The fact that Jesus is going to come to the very place where Micah spoke to that woman on the well. Remember her? And she was saying, you know, as she's gathering, you know, water in the middle of the day in the heat of the day. And you can just imagine that, you know, we're coming up to hundreds very, very soon. Would you ever want to go outside in the middle of the day and, and have to carry big jugs of water back to your house? But this lady, because of the shame in her heart, the, the, the shame that she was going through, not only being married to uh, six previous men, but also in an uh, unfaithful relationship with a, her seventh guy. And Jesus still accepted her, forgave her of her sin, just like he did to the people that he's bringing this message to here in the book of Micah. Micah is one of those books that, uh, you know, we, we read this in Micah chapter 5, uh, you know, that, that privilege that we have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have a relationship with a transcendent God, a, a God, God who is high and lifted up, a, a God who is high above us, his thoughts are, are high above ours, he, he is, is, is above and beyond anything that we can even begin to comprehend, and yet at the same time, that transcendent God came to the earth in an intimate relationship with us. That verse that we read about in uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Bethlehem Ephrathath, who would come to the earth? Emmanuel, God with us. And this amazing verse that we've been talking about here in chapter 7, removing our sins, chapter 7, verse 1, we pick up where we left off last week. It says, uh, woe is me, for I am like the fruit pickers, like, like the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat or a first ripe fig, which my soul desires. The Holy One has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among them. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks, also the judge, for a payment. And a great man speaks the craving of his soul, so they weave it uh, together. We're reading a, a book that was written some 2,700 years ago, and yet at the same time, it could have been written today. What, what were the political leaders and the religious leaders like? wanting that handout, wanting that bribe, and they did it good. They were well-practiced at it, right? Both hands knew how to get the bribe done or the craving of their soul or the payment or the thing that they could do for someone that would just grease the palms or give them money. Look at what it says in verse 4. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright like a thorn hedge. The day when you post your watchmen, your punishment will come. At that time, their panic will uh, happen. What do you normally do with a briar or a thorn hedge? 
Oh, hopefully you, you know, get rid of it, right? It's a weed. Yeah, you chop it down. Thank you. Yeah. It's something that you wouldn't want growing in your yard or in your garden. At this time, it would have been used for uh, fire. But what is he comparing the most, the, the, the best of Israel at this time? The, the best of you, the most upright of you are just like a prickly bush, a prickly uh, weed. Uh, do not believe in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a close companion from her who lies in your bosom. Guard the openings of your mouth. I know this is kind of, you know, language that we don't really don't use, but do you know what it's saying there? You can't trust anyone. E even the, the closest person, the person that you sleep with in your bed, you can't trust them. This is what it's like to live in Israel in the time of Micah. Uh, how paranoid would you have to be? Or you can't even open your mouth and trust the person that's closest to you. Even your relatives, as it says in verse 6, for son treats father as a wicked fool. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, I guess that's true sometimes. A man's name, enemy are the men of his own household. Wow. The men of his own house. The, the, the people that should be the closest to you, you can't even trust, right? What is it like when sin inhabits a nation where, where the political leaders are taking bribes? You can't trust them, of course, you know. Uh, all those religious leaders, you can't trust them because they're not doing what's right either. You can't even trust the people in your own household. Who can you trust? Th this is what sin does to a nation. It breaks down uh, the family ties. It breaks down trust. It breaks down anything that we're supposed to hold dear to our heart. You see, they're practiced in deception, and the most intimate people in their lives are traitors. You can't even trust the person that you sleep with. And that's scary. This is Micah speaking in verse 7. He actually, it's the first time we see this actually, where he puts it in a very personal way. He uses those pronouns, uh, me and I. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. What, what, what's the solution to trust issues? What, what's the solution to a, a corrupt government or a corrupt religious system or, or even where you can't even trust those that are closest to you? What's the solution? Is there one that you can trust at all times? We've been using the Legacy Standard Bible just for the Minor Prophet, just for these, these 12 books. And the reason why we've been using it is because it actually translates the, the name of God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's normally in a uh, new, new King James Version or other versions of the Bible, and actually puts in the name of God. So you don't have to, you know, kind of, you don't have to really think about it, just it's there. 
So, and, and every single one of these, these terms for Yahweh, it, it's this personal intimacy. I'm actually saying the name of God. Micah saying the name of God. Hosea said the name of God. Jonah said the name of God. All, all these references to the personal nature of God to the prophet himself. And it creates intimacy. It creates trust, right? When, when I know that God, I can tell him anything, and he will never betray. Never. Oh, yes, people will betray us. We all sin. We all, we all betray, unfortunately. We all make promises that we can't keep. We all, you know, and, and, and most of the time, it's, it's not our fault. It's scheduling or, or we forget or whatever it is, you know. Most of the time, it's not truly on, on purpose. But is there one that is intimately involved in our lives that we can put our full trust in, our full faith in, our whole belief in, and know that he'll never betray us? Verse 8, do not be glad over me, O my enemy, though I fall, I will rise. And of course, this is Micah speaking personally from his own heart. Though I inhabit the darkness, Yahweh is a light for me. Highlight that phrase, underline that phrase, memorize that phrase. Absolutely amazing. Who is the one that is there in the darkest times of our life? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path, right? What, what do you do when those around you are being influenced by the world? What, what do you do? Maybe you can put yourself in that situation too, but it's easy to think of other people, okay? You know, that's where we start normally. You know, what, what can you do when those around you are influenced by the world? Where, where do you go? You see, the world is very, very good at peer pressure. The world is very, very good at influencing us, whether it's the media or you know, the things that we hold in our hands or the things that we see on billboards or in our house or whatever it is, the, the media is there all the time. There's influence in our lives all the time. And what happens when, you know, that influence is greater than uh, the word of God or even, even God himself? What do we do? We have to turn it off. We, we, we have to run from it, the Bible says. Peer pressure can only be overcome when we understand who should influence our lives. Does the world have our best interest at heart? No. They use you, they abuse you, toss you out. But what does God do? He builds you up. And as we read at the beginning here, he actually wants your life to be better than it is now, right? He, he wants the best for you. It says there in verse 9, continuing on, I will bear the rage of, of Yahweh because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and does justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. What does God want for us? 
Sin separates us from God. God separates us from sin. Which do you prefer? Because God wants the best for you. Sin wants to kill you, destroy you. It wants to destroy your life. And we just really understand that and thank God for the book of, of Micah. Even Micah himself, he, he, he's, you know, understanding that he's a sinner. I, I've sinned against God, as every single human being has ever done, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, right? All of us are, are you know, not without, without fault. We, we all have sin. We all have problems in our lives. We all need a Savior who is the only one that can bring us to the light and show us righteousness. It says there in that verse, it's God. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is Yahweh your God? My eyes will look on her at that time. She will be trampled down like mire of the streets. It will be a day of building your walls. And on that day, your boundary will be extended. It will be a day when they will come to you from Assyria to the cities of Egypt, from Egypt even to the river, from even from sea to sea and, and mountain to mountain. And the earth will become desolate because of her inhabitants on account of the fruit of her uh, deeds. You see, in 722 BC, the, the, the Assyrian Empire is going to come in. And, and it's not only going to attack the northern kingdom, the northern uh, ten tribes of Israel, but it's also going to come down to Judea, where Jerusalem's at. But unfortunately, what's going to happen in the north, they're going to be defeated. And, and when they come, and, and remember the last king uh, that Micah is addressing, King Hezekiah, he's the one that opens the doors of the temple, remember? His, his dad had, had closed those doors. We read about that uh, two weeks ago in the beginning of the book of, of Micah. Now Hezekiah he opens it. And what happens to the southern kingdom? There's revival that takes place. They even send invitations to the northern ten tribes saying, come down and, and worship with us. We, we want to have fellowship with our brothers and sisters that, you know, left us so long ago. What does God want for a nation? See, for the nation of Israel, he wanted reconciliation. He wanted revival to take place. And because of that, because the southern kingdom, they, they repented, they, they changed their ways. When the Syrian army came to them, one angel was sent by God. One angel, that's all it took and completely obliterated the Assyrian army because they trusted in the one that had power, the greater influence, the, the best one that we can look to. Verse 14, it continues on there. I, I love what this says. Shepherd your people with a scepter. This is super important. This is messianic. This is pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Not only do we find out where he's going to be born in the book of Micah, that verse that we read every single year at Christmas time, that we normally we forget where it's at. It's in the book of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but also this verse here. Because who is the good shepherd? You know this, right? Isn't that amazing? Who's the good shepherd? But what does that shepherd have in his hand? It says it right there. 
It's unique to the good shepherd, by the way. There's only one who can have this instrument. It's not a staff. It's a scepter. Who holds a a scepter? King. In fact, if you go all the way back to the the book of of Genesis, there at the end, in in chapters uh, 48 and 49, we find that that Judah is going to hold the scepter, and from him will come a king uh, who will be on the throne forever and ever and ever, referring to the one who is the good shepherd, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one whom we see in the book of Revelation who sits on the throne, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Shepherd your people with a scepter, the flock of your inheritance, which dwells by itself in the forest in the midst of the fruitful orchid. John and Gilead as in the ancient days, as in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show you wondrous deeds. Nation will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick dust like a serpent, like crawling things of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses to Yahweh our God. They will come in dread and they will be afraid before you. You See, it says in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Love this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Even those who were enemies of God will be accepted. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Because, you know, I know I don't have a single drop of Jewish blood in me. Thank God that he chose me. Thank God he chose you. Thank thank God he died for you. Thank God he, he sent his son to provide a way for each and every single one of us that would accept him. Thank God for that. But when did he do that? Not when we were his friends. Not not when we were good. Not when we were already, you know, had everything in order. All of our, our ducks aligned. All of our lives were perfect. When did he die for us? The Bible says when we were his enemy. That's when he died for us. Wow. Or Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. God is high and lifted up. Who would ever think of that? No human being would ever think of that. No human being would ever plan that. No, no, no human being would ever design a, a salvation plan that included the enemy. That, that reached out to them before they became friends. Died for them while they were still enemies of God. But it continues on there in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. A much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Just blows me away every single time I read that. Why would God reach out to a, an unholy people? And of course, you know, we, we understand this. We've been talking about this. You know, the, 
There's the Jews, and in the Jews' mind, there's everybody else. There, there's the Jewish nation and everybody else. We call those Gentiles, right? The nations, the people that are not Jewish. And who does God reach out? Then we have those three verses at the very end. And we've read this every single time, we, every single week for the last three weeks as we've been going through this. The theme of the book of Micah, Micah's name means who is like uh, the Lord. It begins with that phrase, who is a God like you who forgives iniquity, who passes over the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance, does not hold fast to his anger forever because he delights in loving kindness. There's God and there's everyone else because I know I don't fit that criteria. There, there is no one like that. There is God and everything else. You see, God it was not created. God has always existed from eternity past to eternity future. That phrase that we learned about last week in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that babe that's going to come, that's going to be born in a manger, was the ancient of days who existed from eternity past. We, we talked about the existence of, of Jesus Christ. And just like us, Jesus uh, didn't begin his existence when he was born. He existed from eternity past and just was born as a human being at a certain time in history in a certain place for 33 years to come to this earth. We, we kind of understand this, right? You know, you didn't come into, ex into existence when you were born. We, we believe that as Christians, right? When did you come into existence? Nine months before, ten months before, at, at conception, that's when you came into existence. You just entered, you know, the earth or, or came in uh, being born uh, nine months later. You, you existed before. Jesus Christ just existed in eternity past, even further uh, before. Uh, verse 19, and he will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and you will cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. By the way, we've been seeing this on the news. What is it like to be on the depths of the sea? What, what happens when you go to the depths of the sea? Yeah, crushed, right? I mean, it, it's very, very dangerous. And what, what happens to your sin? Thank God for this, by the way. This is the illustration. The same illustration that we see with the East and the West, do they ever meet? Can never, never meet, right? It goes on forever and ever and ever, East and West. They're completely and infinitely separate. You can never, you know, keep going West and all of a sudden start going East. No, it's impossible, right? The East and the West are vast distances, and it's the same thing with the bottom of the sea there's no way for you to retrieve your sin thank god for that by the way he removes our sin he completely crushes our sin by the power of his blood and in this last verse here you will give truth to jacob and loving kindness to abraham which you swore to our fathers from the days of old who is like the Lord. 
No one liked it. No one liked it. When we were talking about the book uh, before Micah, we, we, we've been going through, and then, you know, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. When we were in Jonah, we talked about these three books in the Bible that address uh, Gentiles only. And, 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 you know, all the books in the Bible, they, they have portions for the Gentiles. There, there's a portion in the book of Isaiah. There's a portion in the book of, of Jeremiah. But there's only three books in the entire Old Testament that are specifically designed for Gentiles or, or non-Jewish people. We talked about this when we were in the book of Obadiah. Obadiah is exclusively to the Edomites, okay? Only the Edomites, the descendants from Esau, the twin brother of Jacob. Remember, and his name got turned into uh, Israel. So the, these would have been the cousins of the Israelites. And then, of course, the book of Jonah. And we all know the book of Jonah. You know, you can listen to the, 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 the recordings a, a month ago. And, and, of course, Jonah hated the Ninevites. He, he did not want to go to uh, Nineveh, but yet God still uh, created this one of the most amazing revivals in all of, of history in uh, uh, Nineveh. The Ninevites were non-Jewish, and the book of Jonah exclusively was for them. And then we have this book that comes next after Micah, this book of Nahum, or Nahum, depending on where you're from, you know, Nahum, or Nahum. His name means comfort, by the way. And his is directly to the Ninevites also, just 150 years later. So you could call this Jonah part two, okay? Without the whale, of course, or without, you know, the, the big fish. This is only three chapters. It's, it's very quick. Uh, Nahum chapter one, verse one, it says, the oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, uh, the Elokoshite. Have you ever read the Bible and sometimes, you know, you have all these, these words and you don't really understand them? One of, one of these words that's, that's here is this word oracle. It's used several times, actually, in uh, the minor prophets. We see this used uh, not only here, but also in the book of Haggai, the book of Habakkuk, there are several other books that use it. Sometimes it's translated, depending upon the translation that you have, it's translated burden. Have you ever driven past someone and may, they needed help? Maybe, you know, uh, their, their tire was popped or they were trying to change their tire or they needed something or, or a neighbor comes over and asks you for something or a friend comes and asks you for something and, and God puts a burden on your heart. You, you ignore that burden, and what does it feel like? It gets heavy, right? Your, your heart literally gets heavy because God is convicting you. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. He's given you a burden on purpose. How do you get rid of the burden? Give it away. Do it, you obey. When you, when you give away the burden, when you, when you actually obey the Lord and give away that burden, what happens then to your heart? I, I, I help that person. What happens to your heart? It's amazing, right? It's light. You feel joy. 
There's, there's something that changes in your attitude, right? This is the way it is with the prophets. They're given a burden for a certain group of people. Nahum wasn't given a burden for the Judeans or, or the, the, you know, the northern kingdom or any of the other tribes. He was given a burden for Nineveh. A, a, a people group that wasn't even Jewish, a, a people group, by the way, that were the enemies of Israel, and God tells them to go and preach to the Ninevites. Now, now of course, the results are going to be different than it was in Jonah. In, in this case, they're actually going to reject the Lord this time. It says there in verse 2, and by the way, there some of your Bibles might even have like little weird looking words or maybe even little symbols next to this this is actually a uh, a uh, an acronym or a uh, it's a it's a sequential acronym of the le the first half of the Hebrew alphabet okay in verse 2 it says a jealous and avenging god is yahweh yahweh is avenging and wrathful yahweh is avenging against his adversaries and he keeps his anger for his enemies. Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power, and Yahweh will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. How, how did Jesus come the first time he came? When he came as a babe in a manger, how, how did he come? Meek and mild, he came humbly, right? He came as the lamb that was going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. How is he going to come the second time? Yeah, a warrior with that sword coming out of his mouth on a white horse, trampling down his enemy. In the book of Nahum, we're going to see several contrasts. And you see here in the first two uh, verses here. I mean, there's this contrast of he's wrathful, he's angry, he's coming with power and authority against his enemies. And yet in verse three, it says, Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power. Do you know how much power it takes to control your anger? Do, do, you, do you know how much power and authority it takes to control that impulse that you have to just fly off the handle when someone else offends you or does something wrong? How much power does that take? It's the power of the Lord. You see, God is slow to wrath. He is slow to anger. Thank God, by the way. Thank God, okay? Because the very first time we sin, what should happen to us? Yeah, we should be killed right away. Boom, you're dead. Because that's the wages of sin, is what? Yeah. So th that's the consequences of sin. So how long ago should I have died? It's scary to think about, by the way. And how slow was God in his wrath toward us? How, how patient is God with us? We never think of it like, you know, me, 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 looking in the mirror, seeing myself. We always think of it in terms of other people, normally. But, but when I think about the Lord being slow in his wrath, being patient with me every single day. How amazing is grace and mercy? You see, this is the contrast that we see. 
You see, you're either for the Lord or you're against the Lord. The first time God spoke the message to the Ninevites, they repented from the very top to the very bottom, 120,000 souls saved on a single day. Amazing. The second time he comes, they're going to reject him. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, verse 4 says. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel, a language. Carmel was that mountain where Elijah battled the prophets of Baal uh, there on the, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee there. Uh, you can actually see it from there. The blossoms of Lebanon languish. Mountains quake because of him and the hills melt. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence. The world and all in the inhabitants in it. How powerful is God? I remember, you know, Noah, right? What happened when, you know, the world rebelled against God and everyone else was, was unrighteous except for Noah and his family? And what happened to the earth, you know? Yeah, that, that, and, and by the way, the promise, you know, the original, the real purpose for the rainbow, you know? The, the the promise that God made, I'll never never flood the earth again, ever. But what's going to happen? And we actually, if you come in the book of our month of July, you'll see this when we go through the book of of First Peter. He he will destroy the earth again, but it's not going to be with a flood, with fire. In fact, the very elements will melt. The very they're very basic. Uh, formations of everything will literally melt down to the very smallest of particles. In verse 6, it, it's even greater here. It says, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are torn down by him. And then there's that contrast again. Yahweh is good. How can Yahweh be good and yet wrathful and angry? How can the God of the universe who, who is coming with wrath still be good? Just, just keep that thought, okay? Because we're going to see it over and over again, okay? This, this contrast between the slowness of God's anger and his coming with wrath. God is still good and yet he is coming with judgment. Can God be still good and yet bring wrath and judgment to a world that has sinned against him? Of course, you guys already know the answer. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete destruction of its place and will pursue his enemies into darkness. You see, the capital city of Assyria was called Nineveh. This is where Nahum is preaching to. The nation of Assyria was one of the worst in terms of how they treated their enemies, the worst nation on the planet. If you were here when we were going through not only the uh, the book of, of Jeremiah, but also the book of Ezekiel as well. When, when they would come into a nation, uh, they would torture the people. They, they would run them over with agricultural implement. When we read the book of Hosea, it says that they actually were, would have 
fish hooks put into their mouths and led through the breaches of the gate. When they ran out of fish hooks, they would use meat hooks, right? Just horrific, just horrific the way they treated their prisoners. And yet God is coming to them again and giving them another chance to repent. How gracious is our God. He could have just said, no, I'm just going to destroy you. I'm not going to write you another book. I'm not, not going to send another prophet to you. I'm just going to come and I'm just going to destroy you. But what does he do instead? He gives them another chance. This is the love and mercy of the word of God, the love and mercy of, of God. Not, not only did he reach out to the Israelites, but he reached out to the world. He could have sent his son just for a particular people group. Or a particular skin color or whatever it was. A, a, a people that could only understand a, a certain language. But who did he send his son for? That most famous of verses, right? John 3.16. For God so loved them that he gave his only begotten son. Thank God for that. Verse 9, whatever you devise against Yahweh, he will make a complete destruction of it. Distress will not rise up twice like tangled thorns and like those who are drunk uh, with their drink. They are consumed as stubble fully uh, dried up. And if you're, you know, alcoholic or, or have ever been drunk, you, you kind of understand this. Uh, from you has gone forth one who devised evil against Yahweh, a vile counselor. What is the appeal that you see on an advertisements, whether it's, you know, uh, alcohol or whatever it is, you know, um, even, you know, any uh, drug or something that causes hallucinations or, or alters your state of being? What, what is the appeal of it? Do, do, they, do they show big fat guys with beer bellies on the advertisements? Why? Why don't they? That's not going to sell anything. Who, who do they put on the advertisements? Yeah. It's all those, you know, you know, abs, right? You know, it, it, it's the handsome people and, and, and they're having a good time, right? But, but what is the ultimate result? Well, it's the, it's the beer belly, right? You know, it's the hangover the next day. It's the breakup of family. It's the destruction of your liver, right? It's a, a vile counselor. And, and you all know what alcohol does. I mean, that's the reason why you have a hangover the next day. It's because, you know, it dries up all the, the you know, the hydration in your body, right? It, it literally sucks the water from your brain. Right? In your body. Continues on there in verse 12. Thus says Yahweh, though they are full strength and likewise many, even so they will be cut off and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no longer. So now I will break his yoke bar from upon you. I will break your bands apart. And Yahweh has commanded concerning you, there will no longer be a seed from your name. This is what's going to happen to the Assyrians. They too are going to be uh, uh, obliterated or, you know, uh, taken apart as a people. It's going to be the Babylonians that come in next. They're going to take over the Assyrian Empire. They're going to make 
their kingdom uh, theirs. From the house of your gods, I will cut off graven image and molten image. I will prepare your grave for you are compatible. Behold in the mountains, the feet of him who proclaims good news, who announces peace. You've Oh, thank you. Contemptible. Thank you. For you are contemptible. Thank you. Yeah. That makes more sense, doesn't it? Right? But then you have this contrast in the very next verse, verse 15. Again, he is slow to anger, and yet he is coming with wrath. He, he is coming with judgment, and yet he is good. And in verse 15, this is going to be good news. You've heard that verse before, by the way. You've heard this verse probably uh, many times in the New Testament. This word uh, good news literally means gospel. Uh, read the whole verse there, verse 15, before we see where it comes from. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who claims good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feast, O Judah. Uh, pay your vows, for never again will a vile one pass through you. He is cut off. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, again, a contemporary of this time, same time period, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who proclaims good news, who pronounces peace, who proclaims good news of good things, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. See, what does it mean when God conquers his enemies to the one's that are waiting patiently. Is it good news? It just depends upon which side you're on. Right? There's God's side, and there's the enemy's side, right? Look, look at what it says in Romans chapter 10. And again, Romans also quotes not only this phrase from the book of Nahum, but he actually expounds upon it. Paul does. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, it says, How then will they call upon me in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a? And then he quotes from Nahum. And how will they preach unless they are sent, just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. Why is it good news? Because the enemy has been defeated. What, what, what did Jesus do on the cross? Thank God he forgave us of our sins. You know, he, he saved us from the wrath of God. Thank God for those things. But what else did he do on the cross? He conquered sin and death. He defeated the enemy is that good news wow verse 16 of romans chapter 10 however they did not all heed the good news and this is where nahum comes into play this is where you know unfortunately we know people like this we we may have been like this thank god for his grace and mercy but will people reject the good news do people reject the good? Lord, who has believed our report, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
But I say, have they never heard? On the contrary, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. This is the amazing thing of the book of Nahum. God is reaching out to the Gentiles. He's reaching out to his enemies. He wants them to repent. He wants them to change their way. By the way, he uses us too, right? Chapter 2, Nahum, the one who scatters, has come up against you. Guard the fortification. Watch the road. Strengthen your loins and steal your power with exceeding courage. For Yahweh will restore the majesty of Jacob like the majesty of Israel, even though those who empty them have emptied them to destruction and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty man are colored red. The valiant man are dressed in scarlet. The chariots are enveloped in flashing steel when he set up to march, and the cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly in the street. They rush wildly in the squares. Their appearance is like torches. They dash to and fro like lightning uh, flashes. Do you guys know what a chariot is you've probably seen a at least on a, a movie or something a, a chariot these would have been the tanks of the day these were the the you know the the technological wonder of a of a warfare instrument these are used as a, you know um some sort of instrument to be, create fear in the infantry to scatter uh the enemy uh troops he remembers his mighty ones. They stumble in their march. They hurry to her wall, and the mantlet is set up. The gates of the rivers are open, and the palace is melted away. So it stands fixed. She is exiled. She is carried away, and her maidservants are moaning like the sound of doves beating on their breasts, who is stronger than the most powerful of warfare instruments. God. He brings down the greatest of the armies, even Nineveh itself, even Assyria itself. Verse 8, though Nineveh was like a pool of water throughout her days, now they are fleeing. Stand, stand, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold, and there is no limit to the treasure. Wealth from every kind of desirable object. You see, when Babylon comes in and destroys, obliterates the Assyrian Empire, they're going to ravage the land and also plunder it as well. All that gold that the Assyrians had taken from other people, it's going to be taken by the Babylonians. She is emptied. Yes, she is emptied out and eviscerated. Hearts are melting and knees knocking. Also languishes in all her loins and all their faces turn pale. Where is the den of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? where lion, lioness, and lion's club, cub prowled with nothing to make them tremble. The lion tore enough for its cubs and strangled enough for its lioness and filled its lairs with torn up prey and dens with torn up flesh. Behold, I am against you, declares Yahweh of hosts. I will burn up her chariots and smoke and a sword will devour your young lions, and I will cut off your prey from the land, and no longer will the voice of your messengers be heard. Who, who is the one that can destroy the, the strongest of armies? You can, read, you can actually read about this in Second Chronicles chapter 29 to, to 33. 
it's an amazing story, by the way. Uh, you can just uh, read it for yourselves. It's, it's just absolutely amazing what God does in saving uh, the people of Israel. We'll, we'll finish this last chapter here. Again, you know, when we're going through the minor prophets, and I, I said this at the very beginning, when you know, you can, um, it, it's so quick, boom, boom, boom. You know, one chapter, three chapters, seven chapters, twelve chapters, very, very short books to read. Yet at the same time, they're, they're very, very powerful in their message. Woe to the city of bloodshed, completely full of deception and pillage. This, this is Nineveh. This is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Her prey never departs. The sound of the whip, the sound of the rumbling of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots. A horseman charging and swords flaming and spears flashing, many slain, a, a mass of corpse, and, and there is no end to the dead bodies. They stumble over the dead bodies. By the way, do you see the picture? It's very vivid, right? Na Nahum is writing this in, in a way where you can visualize what is happening. All because of the many harlotries of the harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations by her harlotries, and families by her sorceries. By, by the way, how is sorcery compared in the scriptures? It's compared to devil worship, right? That, that, that's what uh, uh, Samuel says to Saul, you know. Uh, I, I want your obedience, right? Not, not your, you know, sacrifices. It, it, that, that disobedience is akin to sorcery or to uh, devil worship. Behold, I, and again, you know, very, very vivid. What does it say in verse 5? Behold, I am against you, declares Yahweh of hosts. I will uncover your skirts over your face. And by the way, this is what the army would have worn. Okay, can you imagine that? What happens when the army's skirts are over their head? Isn't that scary? Well, they can't see, but what, what, can, the, what can you see? I mean, you know, don't, don't imagine it too much, okay? Uh, verse 6, I will throw detestable filth on you and display you as a wicked fool and set you up as a spectacle. And it will be that all who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is devastated. Who will console her? Where will I seek comforters for you? And by the way, remember, Nahum's name means comfort. The, 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 the definition of his name who, who is the one who is the comforter? It's the one that dwells in us. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the, who is that? The Holy Spirit, who, brought, who, who convicts us, who places that burden upon us that we saw at the very beginning of the book, that the oracle or the burden of Yahweh or, or Nahum to the people of Nineveh. Who's the only one that provides complete comfort? Are you better than Noamon, which sits along the waters of the Nile with water surrounding her, whose ramparts was the sea, whose wall consisted of the sea? Ethiopia was her might, and Egypt too, without input, and, and Labim were among her helpers. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Also her infants were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for honorable man. And all her great men were bound with uh, fetters. You don't have to know where these places are. They were just great nations that were defeated by God himself. 
who is powerful. You too will become drunk. You will be hidden. You too will search for a strong defense from the enemy. All your fortifications are fig trees with ripe fruit. When shaken, they will fall into the eater's uh, mouth. Behold, your people are women in your midst. The gates of your land are opened wide to your enemies. Fire consumes your gate bars. Draw for yourself water for the seed. Strengthen your fortifications. Go into the clay and, and tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. It will consume you as the locust does. Multiply yourself like the creeping locust. Multiply yourself like the swarming locust. The destruction is going to be very, very graphic. Very, very complete when God comes in judgment. The last four verses here. You have increased your traitors more than the stars of the heaven. The creeping locust strips and flies away. Your guardsmen are like the swarming locusts. Your marshals are like the locust swarm encamping in the stone walls on a cold day. The sun rises and they flee and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds are sleeping, O king of Assyria. Your mighty ones are lying down. Your people are scattered on the mountain. There is no one to regather them. There is no relief for your breakdown. Your wound is incurable. All who hear the report about you will clap their hands over you. For on whom has not your evil path continually see judgment is finally coming to assyria i asked you a question earlier how can god be good and yet judge how can he be a wrathful and yet good the bible answers that we see glimpses of that in the book of nahum we see his perfect judgment in uh, the book of nahum if if i were to reject the lord or anyone were to reject the lord would he be completely righteous in his judgment of us? It says in Psalms chapter 9, verse 8, He will judge the world in righteousness. He will render justice for the peoples with equity. Is he the only one that can truly, without any form of you know, bribery or without any form of prejudice, judge the world? Because the standard is the same for everyone. It's his son, Jesus Christ. And if anyone doesn't meet that standard, we all fall short, right? We fall short of the glory of God. But how do I meet that standard? Can I somehow do it myself? No, none of us can. I can't work my way to heaven. What's the only way that I can have Jesus' righteousness in my life. To have that standard. And you all know the answer. Faith. It also says it one more. And this will be the last verse. Psalms 19 verse 9. The fear of Yahweh is clean. Enduring forever. Isn't that an amazing phrase? What, what does the wrath of God do to our sin? Cleanses us. Right? He, he obliterates sin. He removes it. The judgments of Yahweh are true, 
They are righteous altogether. Is God good all the time? And all the time he is good. Even in his wrath, even in his judgment. And when I look at it from the perspective of God, thank God that's good news. Because the enemy is defeated. The enemy of my soul is defeated. He's defeated the sins in your life. That's good news. So when those temptations come tonight, tomorrow, throughout the rest of the week, when those temptations come into your life, when, when Satan is, is tempting you again, who's the only one that can defeat him? Jesus Christ. And what he did for you. It's the power of the blood of God for us and for you. The next book that we're going to be looking at is the book of Habakkuk. Again, another three-chapter uh, book. Habakkuk's going to ask three questions. Look carefully what those three questions are, okay? By the way, God's not going to answer his questions, okay? He's not going to answer the question. Habakkuk asks questions, but God's not going to answer them. He's going to do something better. And he does the same thing with us, okay? He's going to do something better than answer the questions, okay? So please come uh, back next week and as we start the book of Habakkuk. Dear Father, I thank you so much for the privilege and thank you for the patience of these, uh, these my friends and my family staying uh, a little bit extra to finish this uh, uh, short book of Nahum. Lord, I, I'm so grateful for your people. I'm so grateful for this church. I thank you so much for our, our pastors, for for Mike Ostheimer and, and, and Mike Cosper and, and Mike Butler and, and Jason and, and Mike Atkinson, just their, their love for this church, their love, their love for you. Just give them a clear vision, a, a purpose for our uh, church, Lord. And I thank you for the people of this church, their, their desire to see this church grow, their desire to, to see you work uh, in this church in, in mighty ways, Lord. So, Lord, tonight as we leave, I, I ask as we, we prayed at the beginning that you wouldn't just let us leave this place and forget what we learned. That we'd actually apply what we learned to our lives. You are, are good all the time. That your good news is always perfect. You've defeated the enemy. That you removed our sins, the very depths of the ocean. There's no one like you. That every single thing you do is good and it combines to your holiness. The wholeness of who you are. Holy, holy, holy. The one who is lifted up. The one who was and is and is to come. And so Lord, today as we go our separate ways, I ask you bless these, my friends and my family. I ask you use us for your glory. Thank you so much for your word and the power of it. Lord, I ask that you just uh, change our hearts. And when, when sin comes a knocking, that we would, we would rely upon you to conquer sin. That we would rely upon uh, on you uh, to, to remove those things from our lives that, that bring us down, that want to destroy us, that bring death to us. And see your light and your life, that they are perfect, that they are good. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.